of Canada FM, the show where we take a look at some great Canadian bands who just never really hit it big outside of our home and native land. I'm Ted. I'm Brian. And I got Scarlet Fever. And the only prescription is more Canada FM. How long were you sitting on that gem for? I was cleaning my turlet this morning and thought of it. (laughs) It's pretty good. It's a pretty good start to it. But yes, hey, how about you're feeling ill from that Scarlet Fever? Uh, ah. Terrible. These terrible puns are just going to keep rolling. This thing on? <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, what's it called? Yes, this week's band is Canada's answer to reggae rock, uh, Ill Scarlet. There's a reason behind the first couple of bands that I've chosen, at least for the first season of Canada FM. I chose these guys... Because I remember when they hit it big, and I, I'm a huge Sublime fan. They are my favorite band. Yeah, I was about to say this one kind of hits more home for us because, like, we've known Sublime. I mean, we were late to the curve because we were only like 14 when they were big, but like when they had broken up, or when Brad had died. But yeah. uh, we we got hip to them before a lot of other people in our stupid class. Oh yeah, like we were singing. My wife makes fun of me because when we first met, I said to her, uh, "What's it called?" Uh, I said to her that was Sublime was my favorite band. She goes, oh, I really like Santeria. And I was like, if you're a real Sublime fan, that's the only song you won't like. Yeah. <laughs> she still makes fun of me for saying that. That's the one thing I was hoping to like to go through college and avoid is just some stupid douche with an acoustic guitar trying to <laughs> wail on some chick by winning her over with uh, Santeria on an acoustic guitar. Just like, Ugh. But I'm pretty sure it happened. I remember I was at a bar once in Niagara Falls getting all drunk and this band was on there and they played Santeria so I said and they were like any requests I guess they're out of shit to play so I'm like how about some more Sublime so they played what I got the guy goes any requests so I went how about some more Sublime <laughs> he goes dude we played all their songs I was like oh, that got me bad I would have bumped off the stage and fought that guy. Like there's, like you played two of their only commercial songs. They got like forty amazing songs that people I don't know, know about. <laughs> anyway, but the, the reason I picked them was because for whatever reason, like there was a phase, like late in high school, just before Ill Scarlet came out, where I was trying to really find soundalikes, and I was scouring the internet. There was a website called Sublime.org that basically was compiling bands that sounded like Sublime for people who wanted to hear that. So obviously they're slightly stupid. That's where I discovered Pepper was through that site, uh-huh. and. There's a lot of these other bands, and none of them really took off or had any big releases. There's there's a group called the Bad Fish Crew. 
that I liked, and they never mm-hmm. put anything out really a major. Uh, there's Bad Fish, which is the Sublime tribute band, which is right. really really bang on, like a good tribute. But it was a little before Il Scarlet dropped, and then when I heard Heaters on the radio, I was like, who the hell are these guys? This is really really cool. And I remember I didn't buy their album. It would have been Epidemic. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, they're just going to release a bigger album. It's going to have all these songs on it anyway. And I kind of missed the boat on them. And also, I was in college, so money wasn't readily available to go blow on CDs. So right. I, I, I had to justify everything myself to, to, to buy it. And I could never justify buying their stuff. But I also remember going to a bar called the Snooty Fox and running into a guy I used to work with at Boston Pizza on Main West and Hamilton. And he was, you know, we were talking about, he was asking me, if they think making a biopic about Brad Noel would be a good idea. That was like, it'd be a fucking awesome idea, right? So we were talking about that, and I just said to him, hey, uh, have you heard Ill Scarlet? Do you like Ill Scarlet? Because it's just when they came out, and he goes, no. <laughs> Ill Scarlet stinks. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I tried to like, change the conversation. And then he like interrupted as we're going to get oh, one more. Fuck Ill Scarlet. <laughs> And I was like, Jesus, where you, why is he drinking the haterade? And uh, so I kind of wanted to figure that. Why, in a world where Sublime fans crave that sound so bad, what happened? That Ill Scarlet just wasn't accepted into that club. Well, if I had to venture a guess, I mean, I will, we'll circle back to this. Like Biden's press yeah. secretary, we'll circle back. That's her big catchphrase. She says that all the time. Like, we'll circle back. Okay. Um, but uh, um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have our little like, why didn't they get bigger at the end? But like, if someone wants to listen to Sublime, why would we listen to a less talented knockoff? You know what I mean? It's like, right. It's like, uh, you know how our our old shtick in our group of friends, when uh, whenever you would sing a song, we'd be like, who sings a song, Ted? And you're like, no, whoever. And like, keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I would piss yeah. you off. It, so there's that, true. and it's also it's like, I mean, we made these jokes when we were in college, but like it's like, oh, these are just some potheads that like only listen to Sublime and Bob Marley, and like as I've listened to them more, I know they're a bit more than that. So I I kind of soften on Ill Scarlet, except for a couple other albums. Oh, I've got some notes. <laughs> but, you got uh, some notes, okay. But yeah, so there's so there's that, and it's also um, I think there wasn't enough sound alikes to try to like form a scene because how bands grow is like you need to get part of a scene and at that time bedouin sound clash had put out uh root fire and then sounding a mosaic a couple years before that before their first album and but they weren't quite in the same group but like bedouin is like reggae purists where these these guys are like literally it's like sublime and then we have all these other interests over here and and they blend that into their music so i just i feel like there just wasn't enough of a scene at least in canada i think if they had tried to like make a schlep to the states and like socal they probably could have found like the dirty heads or something but uh and maybe been boys with them but around here not so much that's my just early hot take well your early hot take is there We'll figure it out as we go along, and uh, we get to at least start with something really, really interesting, because they've got one of the most unique band origin stories Mm -hmm. I've ever heard. So the history of Ill Scarlet starts – now, what Wikipedia says, it starts at a skateboarding shop shop in a local mall in Mississauga. So I believe that to be West 49 in Square One. That's a pretty safe bet that it's West 49 in Square One. Unless there's some, like, actual – like, some other mall in Mississauga. Sherway Gardens wasn't – that's a Tobacco, right? I think 
that's considered Toronto. Is it? I don't know. Okay, but regardless, lead I'm singer from Hamilton. And, I don't give a shit about Toronto. That's where lead singer Alex Norman was working. Okay, so one day a gentleman walked into his store, and Alex thought this guy, because he looked so much like him, was Cone from Sum 41. So he goes over to him, says, you know, he's such a big fan. They start talking about music and skateboarding, and then the guy had to admit to him that he wasn't Cone. <laughs> it was, in fact, Daniel Krolikowski, who coincidentally also played bass. Both he and Norman started jamming with dr- drummer Sawavik Pirokowski. Hopefully I got that right. And Il Scarlet was born. Uh, a lesson to be learned from this story If you look like a celebrity and they are a musician, play the instrument that that look-alike plays because it it could get you opportunities like this. Although I will say Daniel Krolikowski was not in the band for very long. So, but hey, it's a starting point. Yeah, I got a very unique face. I don't look like any celebrity. (laughs) I was going to say, I've definitely seen Arsenio Hall uh, sing before. So you've got (laughs) that. And if you just go whoop, 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 I don't know. You're not not black, so you don't look that much like Arsenio. Uh... Young Willem Dafoe, did he ever do any movies where he was a singer, a musician? You can wear military fatigues and put like a big fake scar over your eye and act like you're in platoon. I'm going to take that as a bit of an insult because... Why is that an insult? He's so goofy looking and terrible. He's very ugly. It's like a gremlin. <laughs> Although apparently he's got a huge wang, so that's something. Willem Dafoe? Yeah, he's done, he, he's done the full Monty in a couple of movies. Apparently him and Huey Lewis have huge units. <laughs> Interesting. Willem Dafoe and you. I've heard Harvey Keitel's got a big dick. I've heard John Hamm. He's got a big hog. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And then Milton Berle always had a giant penis. That was really? a long-running joke about Milton Berle. He didn't having a giant penis. Anyhow, enough about celebrity wangs. Uh, their weird name comes from a prank these wacky high schoolers pulled. They removed the W from a street sign for Will Scarlet Drive. I believe this was in Clarkson. Clarkson Township on the way to Toronto on the GO train. And then the sign read, Ill Scarlet Drive. So because of that prank, they were Ill Scarlet. Now, outside of their obvious sublime influence, uh, band members cite Green Day, The Beatles, and The Deftones as their biggest musical inspirations. Alex Norman also credits Motown, Nirvana, and Queen on having a big impact on his songwriting. Definitely hear the Green Day. I hear the Beatles a little bit in there too, and the Motown. I can honestly say though, Deftones and Queen, I don't hear anything from them in there, or Nirvana. In the second and their third album-ish, like I was gonna make a comparison to the lead singer of At The Drive-In for on a couple of tracks. So okay. I kind of see that Deftones, cause it, around that time, like we'll come back to it, but yeah, he starts screaming a little bit. Yeah. And he kind of has yeah. that, like his vocal registry kind of changes and he kind of falls in that same, like Mars Volte at the drive-in yeah. kind of thing. So for other Canadian listeners, a little, little like Billy talent. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit there. And they might've been contemporary. So that could have been where that came from. Uh, the trio would expand into a quartet with the addition of guitarist, Will Marr and DJ Pat Kennedy, Hi, I am a DJ Pat Kennedy. What a weird name for a DJ. <laughs> Irish. Uh, I don't know if that joke landed or not, but we'll keep it in. <laughs> Another notable band member was John Doherty, who served as both guitarist and bassist in the band's history. He's the son of Denny Doherty of the Mamas and the Papas. And I put in uh, quotation marks here, the normal one in the Mamas and the Papas. So he was not the tall guy who was molesting his children. 
Jesus. Yeah, John Phillips is a bad guy. Very soon after playing their first show at the historic Horseshoe Tavern and recording some dom- demos, Ill Scarlet released their debut, Ill P, in 2004. Uh, I actually really liked Ill P. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I hear sublime influence there a lot more than anywhere else um it just because towards the end of the album there's a couple songs that start to sound a little more like you know like same in the end and things like that and just the way he sings a little bit more is more brad like yeah then uh i think he tries as they roll on i think he tries to find his own voice a little bit but uh there you can hear the influences clear as day yeah absolutely but i think it sounds a little bit more polished like these dudes had a little bit more talent uh with the musicianship than most kids who are in high school just screwing around playing a reggae rock album yeah they really had that talent and i like the raw sound of it too you know what i mean sometimes those early demos like if you ever hear slightly stupid's very first album where they're just a three-piece and they don't yeah. have turntables or anything like that it sounds really it's just different but in a good way just really yeah. raw so most of the tracks also that you'll hear on that album would be re-released later with mm. better production quality which yeah you know it's fine uh, now, what's most well-known about the album ELP is the lengths the band went to to promote it. At the 2004 Vans Warped Tour in Barrie, which we did not go to. We were done going to Warped Tours by 2004. Uh, the band set up their equipment next to the line and began performing a set for everyone waiting in line. One of Sublime's old roadies was touring as a tour security guard, and he radioed to Kevin Lyman, the big cheese at the Warped Tour, that there was a band who sounded like Sublime, that was performing in the parking lot. And instead of kicking them out, like, you know, most people would, uh, he came out and he watched the show and liked what he saw. He invited them to play his private barbecue later that night with all the other bands from the the tour. So everyone got to hear them. And then he invited them to join the Warp Tour the next year. And they'd become a staple of the Warp Tour because of that exposure. Smart. Yeah. I I don't know why more bands don't do stuff like that. I remember the very first Warp Tour you and I went to in 2001, there was a band like no, was warming up. You're right. It was 2000. Yes, it was 2000. Uh, but there was a band warming up while we were in line. And I think we got into Molson Park by the time they started their set. And it was yeah. really bad. Like they were playing out of a band with really shitty amps and stuff like that. <laughs> but at least it was something. I'm surprised more groups don't do that to kind of you know flesh their stuff out i guess it's an awkward place to be if the, if the audience doesn't like you yeah because especially like <laughs> like we lined up pretty early so we could get like a jump on like a good spot in, in the crowd and also like maybe just grab our merch early or whatever and just stick yeah. it in a backpack but it's like so for people who are hanging around there for like an hour ahead of time like we were we could just boo the shit out of them and like just like chirp them mercilessly like i'm sure people probably did well the other good thing though about molson park is if the crowd does get hostile on you the lineup is gated yeah so no one can go and you know get in your face you have more of an opportunity they're forced to listen to you you have a better chance to win them over and it sounds like they won them over yeah which is no easy feat young punk rock audiences can be very cynical and you get the mixed bag of people if that section of line was like all the hardcore guys who just wanted to see agnostic front and uh help me out give me another band sick of it all and uh uh, um, strike anywhere? Sure. I don't know if they ever played the war tour. They're thrilled but... with a reggae band playing right in front of them. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what is this ear rate? Yeah, exactly. So thankfully, things went well for them, and they were able to uh, to push on through. Now, they got that big exposure under their belt. And in 2006, oh, that would become the year 
of Ill Scarlet. <laughs> in January, they released another self-produced album called Clearly in Another Fine Mess. Five newly recorded tracks, along with a bunch of acoustic and live recordings, comprise this one. Uh, and I was thinking earlier today, before I looked over my notes, I was like, how come that album left no impression on me? The reason why... I didn't get to listen to it because I couldn't find a stream of it anywhere. It's not on Spotify. It's not on YouTube. But wasn't it literally just like the uh, the EP, the Epidemic, with like, and then they just like took a bunch of live tracks as well? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they were the exact same songs for Epidemic. I didn't write do a track by track comparison. But uh, the, the Epidemic had what eight tracks? Uh, six or eight, something like that. Yeah, this had five, and then everything else was live and acoustic. They filled it up as best they could. Anyway, that album gets released in January. They do a year full of touring. And in September, they got some prime exposure when they were added to the lineup for the first ever Virgin Festival in Toronto. And no, this is not a gathering of Dungeons & Dragons fans. Hey! Aren't you a Dungeons & Dragons fan? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had to say something I liked without being mean, you know what I mean? That's fair. They wound up opening that day for the likes of the Flaming Lips, Gnarls, Barkley, and Muse. They were well-received by the crowd, even though they really sounded nothing like the bands they were sharing the stage with. So there's another kind of thing that's puzzling. We talked earlier today about, you know, wanting to get into the punk ska kind of thing, but they weren't really concerned with forming that punk ska reggae fan base. They they wanted everybody. And they were able to appeal to a vast variety of Warped Tour uh, audience. Like I said, there could be hardcore fans. There could be metal fans in that crowd. And then you're here with, like, indie rock fans. Yeah. They appeal to them as well. Well, I think it's because if they had labeled themselves or pimped themselves out as a pop band, kind of like what Doug and the Slugs did when we talked about that last week, yeah, um, then people might not go in with preconceived notions. They're like, oh, these guys are fun, just like a little summertime party music, whatever. But when you, uh, when as soon as you hear reggae, the wheels start churning. It's like. Uh, this is nothing like Bob Marley. This is nothing like Toots. This is nothing like uh, whoever. But sure. Uh, so it's like the comparisons start to run, and then like that's where you can let kind of lose audience. But like I think if they had just kind of like set people up as like, oh, we're just like a fun alternative pop band, whatever. Because like reggae can fall in the realm of pop anyway. Yeah, It's exactly. not this like hard and fast genre. It's not like punk music, but uh, I don't know. There is kind of that thing though, you know what I mean? Where you know we talked about Sublime earlier, but Sublime are from along. Long Beach. Long Beach is not exactly an easygoing neighborhood. So when you find out, and they built that local fan base up first, when you see white guys playing reggae and hip hop, but they're from like a tough area, uh, that adds some legitimacy to them. These guys are from Mississauga. (laughs) For those who don't know, that's just a Toronto suburb, pretty wealthy. It's very wealthy. Uh, immediately, when you start doing that, you're a bunch of white guys and you're playing, and they seem to be from well-off backgrounds. I never read anything about them struggling. You know, I can turn people off because people want their music to be legitimate. They don't really care that the audience, uh, sorry, that the band members are playing the music that they love and are having a blast. Yeah. So, 
Uh, well, that's the thing. It's like they always say play. They always say play for yourself first. Yeah. If you're like if you're looking miserable, then like the audience will feed off that. But if you love what you're, if you think you're confident in what you're putting out, people will be receptive. Unless they're just complete dickheads. And there's one thing you can never take away from Ill Scarlet. These guys, when they were at least of the live performances I saw, they never looked miserable on stage, and they never looked like they weren't enjoying doing what they were doing. So. Well, here, here's one for you, sweaty. Okay. Um, so when we saw, who do we see? Flogging Molly and somebody else. Remember the two bands that opened for them? Reverend Payton's Big Damn Band and Dusty uh, Rhodes' River, River Band. Band. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, they're on the folky kind of whatever side, but like Dusty Rhodes, like you wouldn't think that they would play with them. And also when they came on stage, like Dustin Apodaca skipped on there looking like the stage, looking like Jonah Hill and super bad and just loving oh, yeah. it. Like he didn't give a shit who he went over. He was loving the music. And so, and you and I loved it. We were very receptive. Well, that was I think one they of the, won over the fans that night. Oh, big time! That was one of the uh, that that show with those three bands was one of the best lineups, top to bottom, I've ever seen. Yeah, when you go through the whole night, the three. Oh my God! Yeah, that was phenomenal. That show. Uh, a few people will know what we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. That airs because unfortunately we're not doing American bands that didn't hit it big anywhere. But uh, Dusty yeah. Rhodes, Reverend Payton's still kicking it though. Reverend Payton does have a following. Yeah, uh, there's a very loyal following. But unfortunately, Dusty Dustin Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, it's a wrestler. Dusty Rhodes, who's also a wrestler, uh, <laughs> they didn't uh, they didn't catch on like I like I had hoped. Yeah, the but, people who. The people who get that the, that little story, who understood what we were talking about, we call that the Dennis Miller ratio. <laughs> Thanks, Professor Frank. <laughs> Back to Ill Scarlet and the year of Ill Scarlet, which was 2006, um, doing very well for themselves. By October of 2006, they had sold 15,000 copies of just the two self-released albums. So they were doing pretty good, and they had their first major release waiting in the wings. On Halloween of that year, Ill Scarlet released the eight-track Epidemic. I think it's pronounced Epidemic, not Epidemic, but I like the play. You know, they had uh, LP Scarlet, and now they had (laughs) Epidemic. It's yeah. a good idea. Um, the singles heaters. And 1A were all played all over new rock radio. Mixing the reggae, the rock, and the sky punk, and dub know that all I want is what I got. Nothing else I require. Nothing else here that I need. And earned them legions of fans. Um, now, it's a little odd to see a band make a big splash with an EP first, especially in the modern era. Uh, what do you do? You, do, do you have any like initial reaction if a band you like puts out an EP? Um, I'm trying to think if uh, any band that I got into first put out an EP, because I'm trying to think of some of my like favorite bands. Like when I got into Lesson Jake, that was Hello Rock You. That was a full album. Right. Um, Foo Fighters. That was the color and the shape and the self-titled uh sloan was one chord great big c was play so i can't even think of like the only band i can think of that released an ep first was the hip but i didn't get i didn't know about that one until years later i had gotten into like road apples and uh 
the, the Phantom Power and all that. But uh, I know they did one for way back in the day. For whatever reason, the way my mind works, and maybe it's because I need to. I'm one of those people who needs to justify stuff before I buy stuff. And sure. of course, this was this was before the day and age where everything was just on Spotify and you just had access to everything. I always viewed EPs as being like non-canon. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, skip the Netflix Marvel shows. They're not canon to the movies. Right. Uh, you know, like that kind of thing. That's how I always viewed it. But one band that I immediately think of that had huge success with an EP was some 41. I was thinking about that because I wasn't wasn't it technically an LP because it was like 14 songs, but they were all just so short that it was technically uh, an EP. I think it was 10. OK, I'll have to look it up. Hold on here. As Bill Burroughs says, through the magic of radio. Well, it's, it's definitely an EP. OK, 2000 EP. Because yeah, it is exactly 30 minutes long, and EP, it is EP is not how many songs. It's based on the time, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's 11 tracks, okay. but one is 44 seconds, one is one minute, one is 55 seconds, one's a minute and a half. They had a couple of like musical interludes there, but that's the 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 one band, and that only came out two years before this one came out. Sorry, six years before this one came out. That came out in 2000. Um, so I guess the landscape had changed by that point. Putting out an EP first to kind of get your uh, your name out there wasn't that bad an idea. I just wish I had adapted to, hey, it's music that you like, just go buy it. But right. I had that point. But it was meant to whet the appetite of listeners before their first big LP with Sony was to come out, which it would the next year. Now, as far as Epidemic goes, I thought this was a terrific little album. Uh, yeah. The songs are catchy. They're upbeat. They're fun. Uh, really loved Alex Norman's soulful vocals on there. His ability to write pop songs, it falls in line with Doug and the Slugs. They're fun. They're catchy and they make you happy and they make you want to dance. The yeah, when they came like uh, the first shot when that came out, put it on. It's really good. Yeah. And then it blends nicely into Heaters and One A, which are their big singles. Now I remember when Heaters came out and I fucking hated it. I was like that guy you were talking oh, to. Really? I was just like, because like, yeah, it was, it was catchy to the point where it was like an earworm where I like grew to hate it. Like I remember driving in the car and I was just singing it so sarcastically and obnoxious. I'm like, living in the police thing. No. I was like raging out by myself in the car. Really? Like, hating this. I had it, was no idea. it was overplayed so much. And then like I had to not listen to it for years. So when I put it on now, I'm like, this is great. It's just it's one of those things with modern <laughs> rock radio when things are just so overdone, you just like Ugh. It is also we're going back to the whole thing too about which uh, you know, wealthy white guys playing black music. It is, you know, high schools white high school students complaining about the police oh, they took your weed <laughs> you know what I mean other people got bigger problems in this world <laughs> well I know I it's like the, that would rub people the wrong way that's I think I, I think I was thinking about that too I'm like what the hell are these friggin wieners whining about like what heat um, <laughs> but I mean when you think about the time it was 2006 the Patriot Act like Bush on the Patriot Act so there was much yeah. more surveillance going on so they like they we were starting to live in a police state and absolutely it's even worse now when you got these Karens narking on people for like trying to go see your friends and everyone just like everyone has their phones it's more in the the police just like kicking down your door over trying to take your dog to a park and giving you fines and the liberal media is not covering that they're like here's a ticket (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, you're getting, you're getting all upset, but you're not talking about it. Was it Barbecue Becky who's calling the cops on a black family trying to have a barbecue? The oh, fucking woman that. who called the cops on a little black girl trying to have a lemonade stand without a permit. <laughs> you know, Bird Watcher Becky who called the cops on a black guy watching birds. I know that that lady was an idiot, and that that backfired on her so bad she looked like yeah. such a racist. So it, it goes both ways. You do All realize right. I'm just I'm messing around because I knew as soon as soon as I said liberal media, I knew oh, I could see the. <laughs> hey, hey, there's no uh, action without a counter action on I this know. podcast there, Brian. <laughs> anyway, but one A, I'll say what? this. One A was delightful. I love one. But anyway, then as I uh, as the songs rolled on, I thought it was the top to bottom. Very good. First big showing. Yeah. The only song I was disappointed in was the song Pacino. Because it had nothing to do with Al Pacino. Hey, you want like, songs you know, about actors? Go listen to You're So Vain or Clint Eastwood or that song Arrow by Australian Crawl I was telling you about. There's others. Has it ever been confirmed that You're So Vain's about Warren Beatty? That's what it's that actually media. confirmed. It's always been a rumor. Or as your brother says, you're so vain. That was funny. Hopefully you can listen to this. <laughs> now, uh, while the Juno Awards were still a little bit a ways away for Ill Scarlet, the band did earn two Casby Awards in 2006 for favorite new artist and favorite indie release. Unfortunately, they lost to City and Color and Billy Talent, respectively. Two bands, definitely Billy Talent, that we'll, uh, we'll get into at a later date. Uh, the Casbys are presented every year. I'm just going to get a little off track because we haven't talked about the Casby Awards before. They're presented every year by CFNY or Edge 102. And the title is an acronym for Canadian Artists Selected by You. An award show for the fans, by the fans, and it's definitely much hipper than the People's Choice Awards in the U.S. Yeah, it's like a uh, it's it's like a concert and award show just got together because it's like it's not they're not sitting around. It's actually at like a club venue. And yeah. to my knowledge, anyway, I've never been to one of these things, but I've seen pictures and uh, like the Edge 102 radio personalities would all be on stage giving out awards and uh, there'd be musical acts that would jump in and perform. So there, it was like a People's Choice or a Juno's or a Grammys where there was uh, musical performances, but I don't think it was ever televised. I think if you were there, you're there. If not, you kind of hear about it the next day. And it also shows the influence that Edge 102 had at the time. That, that what they said really shaped Canadian rock music. Well, that was our at Bible. At least in Ontario. Yeah. Pardon me? That was yeah. our Bible going on. Everything like oh, that, just doubt. pumping out. I would always like look in when we went to HMV or any other music store. I'd be like, oh, what's, what's, on, the, what's on the edge charts? And I'd try to find it. And there were different edges across the country as well, I believe, right? I have no idea. Oh, okay, because I believe, like, you know how, like, every town's got, like, a jewel or a uh, magic or something yeah. like that, some kind of tagline. Um, I believe there was a bunch of edges that all did new rock, and that's why when Edge Fest rolled through, everyone got excited to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I, uh, I'm going to look that up. All right. We'll take it out of the podcast if it's not true. <laughs> Well, well I, I, mean, don't, I don't know if there's Edge 103.3 in uh, Buffalo. Oh, that's right. There was those two, yeah. but I don't think there yeah. was any other Edge across the country. All right. Well, we can take that part of the podcast out there. No, oh, it's either way. It's irrelevant, but uh, we don't have to take it out. All right. Well, getting back to Epidemic, uh, it did its job. And come July of 2007, fans were craving more Ill Scarlet to satisfy ooh, that craving. The band released all day with it. 
to massive success. To date, their only album to reach gold status, peaking at number 41 on the Canadian album charts and number 17 on the alternative album charts. Uh, and for my money, this is their best album. Absolutely. It uh, it takes a huge step off the cliff after this album, but uh, you hear snippets of a lot more influences there because they start to get a little heavier. Uh, they don't rely solely on the reggae rock. Uh, you can see, I mean, it's their version of what a Deftone song sounds like, but it's like they, and him trying to scream more, like I said about that at the drive-in, but the, the catching, the sorry, the choruses or not courses, the singles, which I'm sure you'll talk about in a second, Just were second here, yeah. very catchy. Oh, big time, big time. And with, with good reason, because the man who produced that album was Matthew Wilder, who produced No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. As well, he had his own 1984 hit, Break My Stride. I'm sure you remember that, right? Ain't nothing gonna break my stride. Ain't oh, yeah. nothing gonna hold me down. Oh, oh no. I got to keep on moving. You'll, you'll Sample place by song in here, right? Play okay. the song, Brian. While the album contains plenty of ska and reggae-influenced tracks, the band would become known for, specifically the album's third single, Who's Got It? It was their unique brand of pop punk that resonated on the charts. The album's lead single, Nothing Special, reached number 87 on the singles charts. And number one on the Much Music video count, which for me growing up was the only countdown that mattered. Uh, and as well, Life as a Soldier. Which I remember being a bigger hit than Nothing Special, uh, but it reached uh, number 71 on the Canadian singles charts. So it did pretty well. My question to you is, I mentioned how these tracks kind of resembled Il Scarlet's unique brand of pop punk. How would you describe it? Because it's not a Blink-182 pop punk. It's not the super poppy pop punk like a simple plan. How would you describe those punkier songs? See, and this is the thing is like you you really can't put it into any sort of because uh, not the soldier one, but the other one. What was that one called? Nothing special. Yeah, even that one doesn't even sound like a Billy Talent rip or anything like that. It's a, It sounds more of just like a straight-up alternative song, so I wouldn't even classify it as pop-punk, because alternative can get harder like that. Because, um, like, you know, like Foo Fighters, like Monkey yeah. Rich, is almost like a punk song, but it's just a softer version. But that's... Uh, so it's... Yeah, it's. I wouldn't even put it in the pop-punk genre. It's, it's hard to say, because there's no other band that really sounded like that specific song. Yeah, I... I, I but that's what every band strives for, isn't it? Yeah. When he can make that kind of sound that's uniquely them. And while people are going to be go, oh, there's those Sublime guys who sound like Sublime, Ill Scarlet really does sound like themselves once you yeah. listen to enough of them. Yeah, exactly. I should also mention for singles off this album, while Who's Got It, the uh, really ska reggae one, it failed to chart. It did serve as the official anthem for the 2007 FIFA Under-20 World Cup, which took place in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Edmonton, Victoria, and Vancouver. Argentina won the tournament. And, oh, check this out, Brian. Team Canada finished in dead last place 
and scored zero goals. Yeah, Canada's men's soccer team is dog shit. Like the women like always do well in the Olympics, but our men are just shit. <laughs> they were terrible in this, and it's one of those things where the host country automatically gets a team. So hey, we showed up, didn't play. <laughs> Award recognition also came with All Day With It. They did get their only Juno nomination for Best New Group, but they lost to Winter Sleep. And they were nominated for six Much Music Video Awards and were unfortunately completely shut out. Video of the year that year went to For the Nights I Can't Remember by Headley. And I'm sure now that all this sexual assault allegations have come out against Headley, Much Music regrets that decision. Well, I mean... You're not basing it on that. You're basing it on the musical content. But still, I would give that to Ill Scarlet over Headley any day of the week. That was Headley's dog shit. <laughs> well, that was funny that you mentioned the Casby Awards and how it wasn't a traditional award show. We should also talk about how the Much Music Video Awards, at least when Much Music was really resonant with you and me, was like the coolest award show in the game. Because it is a giant concert that happens to have little segment breaks for awards. And it takes place all over downtown Toronto, around the, uh, was it the Chum Building, I guess? Yeah, the Chum City Building, too. Was it 228 Young Street? Yeah. They close that whole area down, and there's thousands of people, and it's such a cool vibe. Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's almost like Times Square where it's like you're locked in for the night. Like you're, yeah. you're not going out. <laughs> no, but they've got bars, they've got bands. You're going to have a good time. So, hey, Grammys, quit being so hoity-toity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to promote the album, Ill Scarlet, they toured successfully. They went all throughout Canada, the U.S., Japan, Germany, Europe. They played China even. Uh, they did a big arena tour with Blink-182. They played for this album with Weezer. For whatever reason, they still didn't generate any international notoriety. In fact, I went on the K-Rock website. Uh, K-Rock, of course, out in California, was they started playing Date Rape by Sublime before anybody, when it was just a single they got in the mail to help get them attention. Like, this band plays the ska and the reggae and stuff like that and is still influential in California. I looked at the 2007 year-end charts, the 2008 year-end charts, and there was no ill scarlet to be found. Yeah. Bum me out because this album's so great. Uh, I will get more into it towards the end, but I'm still that taste for some new sublime would have been there, and I'm just shocked that people weren't discovering it because it was it wasn't a Canada only release like Doug and the Slugs used to do. This was massive. You could buy this album anywhere. It's a bummer. I have my thoughts on that, but I'm gonna hold off till the end. But sure. actually, one thing sonically about that album, I wonder if, and I heard it in. Uh, Epidemic and this other album. I wonder if you picked up on it. Uh-huh. Um, his singing also started to sound a little uh, <clears throat> I forget his last name, but it's Chuck from the Mad Caddies. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. And there are certain parts where like some of the songs where they do like kind of like harder breakdowns where it sounded like Mad Caddies-esque. That's another reason why I really liked it, because I love the Mad Caddies. Yeah, me too. And you're right. Th- that's actually a very good comparison I didn't even think of putting in line with Ill Scarlet, because you're right. He'll do a lot of that reggae blah, stuff like yeah. <laughs> Alex always does in this band. But you're right. They'll get a little harder. They'll do a little screaming. The timbers are along the same line. It's not a bad comparison. All right. 
He'll score it, though. They got their Canadian credentials. They got a nomination. It's not like they were bummed out at this time. Although maybe they were. Now in hindsight that I'm thinking about uh, this upcoming album, maybe they were bummed out. Because they didn't wait that long. They put out One Up, their follow-out album, on September 29th, 2009. Featured two singles taken for granted. And Milkshake and Razor Blades, featuring Cardinal Official. Milkshake and Razor Blades is like living through hell. who we talk about every damn episode of this podcast. <laughs> he always pops up. But neither proved to make much of an impact on the singles charts. Now, okay, can I tell you, when we were talking about All Day With It, and you're like, unfortunately, it fell off a cliff after this, I was like, all right, Brian found the same stuff with this album that I did. Right. I guess neither of us were big fans of this album. <laughs> this is when I started, because I enjoyed the other ones so much, I didn't even make any notes. I had, like, yeah. mental notes. But with these ones, I started to write shit down. So, <laughs> so first of all, here's my notes. I wrote, one up, question mark, more like thumbs down. Uh, I wrote, most of these songs were an elephant dart to the listener's face. Um, and then I said, there's a few... St- standout tracks and like for good and bad reasons the song freezing i said hey jason moraz called he wants the song back um milkshakes and razor blades i just wrote what the fuck was this yeah let's get back to milkshake and razor blades for a second there because i was kind of excited with the addition of cardinal official that they were going to finally add a little bit of hip-hop because that's one element of the sublime scope that despite having a dj that was kind of absent on their previous albums there's really no hip-hop or hip-hop in influences to be found so i thought okay this will be cool and it was weird like when they do bring in cardinal cardinal's almost trying to do a punk rock thing like he's kind of singing and screaming and i was like that's not what i expected and not in a good way not what i expected yeah like his voice it just it didn't even sound like him like it almost sounded like he was had been slowed down um like they took his whatever vocals he laid down and they put it like through like a a, like a couple beats per minute like less you know what i mean because it sounded like it was in slow motion it's just not good because he's so much better than that they're normally so much better than that and it's just i don't know i think certain things just don't match like if you're gonna get someone who who in a hip-hop register might have matched their register a little bit better i know it sounds like a good matchup though because yeah but includes reggae influences and all the time Oh, I know, but I'm just thinking, like, just sonically, because, like, of the register that he sings at, the kind of, like, how they play, um, almost like a Red One from Rascals might have matched better, because he's got that kind of higher-pitched voice, just like he does. Like, it might have been a better fit. I don't even know if the Rascals were doing anything at that time, but, uh, yeah. like, Cardinal and Bedouin would make a better con- uh, pairing than than they would, in my opinion. I think also Cardinal is he must be pretty accessible or he might just like helping people out because yeah. he does appear on a lot of tracks by Canadian bands. And that might've yeah. been it. They might've been like, Hey, cool. We like you. We want to work with you. He's like, Hey, I'll help anybody. And that's kind of where it came from. Basically. Here's my thoughts on the album. I wrote after being in a groove throughout their entire discography, I hit a brick wall on this one. I actually didn't finish the album. I oh, was kind of done with it. 
I was just like, this is nothing. I don't think, actually, if you go song by song, I don't think any of them are terrible. I think if you put them on a just a random playlist filled with Ill Scarlet, I wouldn't be skipping through these necessarily. But as an album as a whole, when you have to listen to them start to finish, yeah, it felt like they phoned it in. Oh, 100%. It's, yeah. It definitely wasn't as inspired as their early stuff. And I even wrote in my book, I said, like, the first three tracks, because what was it? Like, take it take it for granted i think was the opener and then uh it starts it and then they got to funky rap like i love those ones and then it just went careened on the cliff yeah it's it's just like we said it's like they phoned it in it was really simple and simple in music can be a good thing but this is a band that they kind of impress with their musicianship and their songwriting skills you want to hear these little licks here and there and this was like they just it's almost like Hey Siri, here's a bunch of Ill Scarlet songs. Can you create some new music based off this past stuff? Oh shoot, Siri actually just went off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then they, like a computer or a committee formulates what an Ill Scarlet album should sound like. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it was kind of like that. <sighs> also, I, I had I had one more joke, Ted. They have a song on this album called "Can't Sleep." You can't sleep. Put this fucking record on. You'll go right to sleep. It sucks and it's boring. <laughs> so it's and a and it is well, it's also like yeah. because i was a terrible musician i cannot play my guitar to save my life i basically cheated my way through band class um like because i always had to write the notes down like the positions on my trombone because yeah. i just like was terrible at reading music in the moment and so like for these guys to put out several quality albums is better than i can ever do and that's why i can never be a music critic because i like to like things musically because i love music so much but if it's just if it's bad it's bad and it's and it's hard too because for people to try to write songs and actually pour your heart out into something because i've never finished a song and all my songs are terrible uh, I, I, like when we, when we tried to start a band i feel bad at this point because you just said it right off the top of your head well, you and me are not the like music critics where you're gonna shit on something just because you find something technically ineffective in there when you and me listen to music or watch a movie we want to like it yeah. You know, we go in expecting and hoping to like it. Um, and it does feel like we're shitting on Ill Scarlet. I just told you the rest of their stuff I really, really like. But this yeah. album, it, every band has a, a lot of bands have a clunker. Yeah. And unfortunately, this clunker didn't come at a good time. This clunker came after their best album when they're touring with Blink-182 and going all over the world and getting Juno nominations. Yeah. It's the last thing they did. <laughs> yeah. And with that, they took like three years off. They were quiet. Uh, the wind kind of got taken out of their sails, I bet. Yeah. Like they still toured, but they were quiet until 2012 when they released the appropriately titled 2012 EP. Uh, it featured members of the ubiquitous Synergy Seekers, as well as Co, who Brian and I saw open for Ill Scarlet, as well as Pepper, The Wailers, and Sublime with Rome. Was that 2012? Or was it 2013? It was 2012 because it was the summer before I went back to university in Windsor, and that was right that was September of 2012. So, so they would have been promoting this out, this EP. Yeah. Yeah, and we can talk about that show right now. First, I want to talk about Co. When I saw his name on this uh, album, actually, I really like the song he's featured on. My brother boys abuse them authority and make me sick. Quarter pound of gush and making no one rich. Till my people in prison, they doing shit. Oh yeah, Co. I like 
that guy. And I went and I followed him on uh, Spotify. And he's hard to find, too, because you just type in KO. You get like a billion artists before you get there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, yeah, I really like that guy. He put in the show. But when we saw them live at where was it exactly? It was like the what was the name? Of, it, was, it was near exhibition. What was the name of the area? Oh, it was called um, it was uh, shit. It was because I had been there a few other times since for other outdoor festivals. It was uh, Fort York Garrison Commons. Fort York. Yeah, that's right. We had a great day. We went with our friend Tom. It was a blast. Outdoor show started maybe what three in the afternoon. Yeah, about that. Ill Scarlet came on second. They came on after Co. They played, um, or they come on after Pepper. I feel like Pepper was first. Okay, so Pepper played, and I was disappointed in Pepper's set. They were just kind of messed up. They didn't do. That was the only time I've ever seen them live. They they weren't on their game. Uh, Ill Scarlet was though. They played the shit out of that show. They covered Longview by Green Day. They covered Paper Planes by MIA. It was great. They were awesome. And then the Whalers came on, and we were all holding hands and singing No Woman, No Cry as a whole group. Sublime with Rome came on, and I enjoyed their set. A lot of people did not realize that, no, Brad Noel had died 13 years prior to this. <laughs> they had some young guys singing for them. People were coming to me like I had the answers for them. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not him. It's Sublime with Rome. It's not Sublime. Yeah. And people were pissed off. And then you left your keys in the field. By some miracle, you found them. I don't know yeah. how. Literally, you found a needle in a haystack, and then me, you, and Tom drank beer underneath a uh, 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 a, uh, a highway overpass with a bunch of random fans. It's a great so night. He- Here's my memories from that. I remember. I don't remember them playing Paper Planes, but I remember Ill Scarlet crushing it. I remember you got super drunk, super, uh, super early, that you bumped into this guy, yeah. and then you uh, he dropped his beer, but you were like stumbling around. You're like, I'll see you later. I'm gonna go up closer to watch the band. He picked up his beer and he winged it. It came like this close, like an inch away from like hitting you in the friggin' yeah. temple. It just like zinged past your head. You were just none the wiser. You were just completely no. oblivious. And I was like, oh. it was funny because also- I walked back to you. I walked back to you and you were like, you know, you just knocked over that guy's beer. I was like, ah, shit. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go apologize and buy him another one. And then you held, held on to me like, no, nah, just stay here. Just stay here. And then the guy left. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, I wasn't going to tell you this when the guy was right there. But after you knocked over his beer, he picked up and threw it at you. Because <laughs> he just missed you. It would have really hurt how it hit you. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, like we, we like, probably yeah, would have like, rushed you out of goes, there. You're, you're not going to buy a beer for that asshole. And I was like, oh, thanks. (laughs) Also, another reason why I didn't want you to buy a beer for that guy, because you know me, I'm a people watcher. Whenever I go to shows, I'm always like, I got one eye on the band, one eye on like what's going on, because I was a bouncer for years. So it's kind of like, it's an occupational hazard. Um, And you you also don't really drink. So you're always in a good state when you're at these shows. Yeah. Um, But like, I was watching this guy and he was like trying to like, he was like flirting with this other girl and like his girlfriend started chasing him around like children. He's like, you're embarrassing me. Like he was just a mess. He was like, he was an asshole. Um, (laughs) So that was one memory. I remember Ill Scarlet crushing and then this random tiny girl is just like, I thought she was like coming to chat me up. I was like getting excited. I was like, now I know how your brother feels when he gets like let down by a woman. He's and that. But she's like, can I put? Can you put me on your shoulders? I was like, this request happens too much. But I did it, and so like I put her on my shoulders for a couple of Whaler songs. I'm like, all right, get off. This is this is enough. (laughs) Did her boyfriend come up to you be like, hey, thanks, bro? Yeah, I was like, (laughs) like, why'd you fucking do it? (laughs) I know. Uh, Yeah, I remember the Whalers were amazing. Um, And then I left. We played like six songs. 
Yeah, but they were good. Super short set, but they stole the show. Um, and then during Sublime with Rome, I was loving it. And then when they played Santeria, I'm like, I'm out. But then I, I had to go back and uh, <laughs> and I was like, I'm like I'll wait for you at the gate. I was like, oh fuck, where are my keys? And that's yeah. when I started look, like during Santeria, I'm like walking around looking for my keys, and I somehow found it. I think a uh, another security guard had a better flashlight, so they were able to like help me out. But yeah, it's needle in a haystack. And then shout out to London Porter that was hanging handing out those beer samples and. Uh, they weren't supposed to do it, but they were running out of beer, so they gave me and Tom each two. That was just us. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's our day in the sun watching, uh, uh, what's it called? Ill Scarlet. Uh, thought this was a big step up from One Up, even though it only had five tracks. Um, they did start to embrace some hip-hop influences on this album, which I really do think is a good fit for them and something that should have been added to the repertoire a while earlier, considering they once opened for The Roots, which I didn't know. Oh really? Yeah, they, the Roots took them on tour. So, right there, they, you know, they got some credentials from a lot of different uh, avenues. Now, for the first full-length album in five years, Ill Scarlet, they made a good move here. They hooked up with the legendary David Kahn. David Kahn is the man who co-produced Sublime's self-titled album. He's also done work for Tony Bennett. Kelly Clarkson, Fishbone, The Strokes, Sugar Ray, Stevie Nicks, the list goes on and on and on. Now, the singles for this album include My Money. And Down for Whatever. We never faded, even when things got complicated which has a great breezy summertime vibe to it. And I was shocked that that wasn't a bigger hit down for whatever. Uh, I have what I call the Margs and Babes playlist that my wife and put on, wife and I put on every summer when we break out the margarita machine and we have our drinks in the backyard. Uh, summertime upbeat tunes. This is going on there. Yeah. Really like like um, I, I wrote a few notes here. There's one song like their opening track was okay. But it was so bloody repetitive. It was, I think, it was called like blackout or whatever. Um, it was like it was good, but it was it should have been track on. I thought that was down for whatever. No, down for whatever was track two. It should have been track one. It would have been a great opening track. Oh yeah, you're right. Would, blackout was number one. Yeah. Yeah, and it it, uh, it should have been number two, but it was very good. I also really liked the song rain Dra- uh, raindrops. That's also, uh, I really liked the cover that they did. Is love is strange. Uh, Mickey and Sylvie. It's a song in uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, okay. Uh, guitar like that. That's, yeah. Okay, you pick up on that. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there, I was like, after we got a blizzard here this week, and so I was, I went to my parents' house to uh, shovel, and I was like, that song came on. I'm like, this song sounds so bloody familiar. I couldn't, and so I had to like look it up. I'm like, I knew it wasn't theirs. I knew it had to be a cover. And I was like, it's yeah, a Dirty Dancing yeah. song. Um, and then I really liked, because uh, on the 2012 EP, they did a song, Don't Rush, and then they did a different version of Don't Rush, which was really good. Yeah. I can't remember which one. I think the reggae one was on the 2012, then they did more of a, like a punky version, which was really good. And I just wrote back, um, it was a great effort. I don't think it was a fully balanced album, but it was still, it wasn't like, it wasn't, they couldn't quite recapture the epidemic era, but it was still yeah. a very good effort. I think it was a good, the, the, the changes that they brought to that album. 
yeah. uh, which I thought were embracing a little bit more pop. I think it's a really good step for them going forward. Now, unfortunately, that came out in 2014, and they haven't put out any new music since. Um, but I think if they were to kind of embrace that and use that to push on forward, it could be a good next step for the band. Because they're never going to sound – they're older now. They're not going to sound the epidemic um, yeah. all day with it era forever. But if they right. use this going forward, I think it's going to be a really, really good step in the right direction for them. And uh, it was also kind of a throwback to like – Kind of remind me of like 90s, 311, uh, some yeah, of like the that. more, yeah, well, some of the more one hit, one, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, maybe a little <laughs> bit. Some of the more one hit wonder rock bands that kind of did a little bit of a funky reggae sort of thing on there. They weren't really sublime clones, they did their own thing, but they were definitely channeling that vibe. Maybe like floored Sugar Ray. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that kind of thing. Maybe some Fushu Mang Smash Mouth. <laughs> you know, I think that they were channeling that. And I think that's a cool thing because it does take me back to a time where I was into that stuff. And I hadn't really thought of that about being a separate genre, but it sort of is. And I really think that they channeled that well. So with no new music since 2014, uh, my question to you is, well, I'm I, well, basically, I'm not surprised that they didn't become big hit makers any, uh, in the States, but I am surprised that with the diehard Sublime fan base and how loyal that is, that these guys don't at least have an underground following. Because I remember I went to go look up uh, the 2014 album and just to read a review or something like that to get ready for this, and I found it on the peer.org. And the peer.org is basically like, they do sublime reviews and then it branches out from there. So hip hop, reggae, some ska, some punk, some this, some that, kind of what they encompass. If Brad would dig it, they'd dig it. Right. And they, they gave it a good review, but it was, they had to put the bio in about who Will Scarlet was. Uh, they had to talk kind of about like their past hits, like they didn't really connect with them. Like, I'm like, you guys are just getting this now? Like, this stuff came out in the day and age of downloading music, where stuff wasn't so secluded yeah. way up in Canada. You know what I mean? Like, you had access to this. I don't know why that hasn't hit home. Like, I feel like it should have. Well, I had some theories, and last night, um, before we were doing the, the online poker with our buddies, I was, I was, just for shits and giggles, I wanted to go through past Juno winners of the last de- like that decade that Il Scarlet was kind of relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I realized something too, because so let me, I'm gearing up my thoughts. So there's a documentary about ska in the nineties and the lead singer, of the mad caddies talks about this. He's like by 2000, like ska was dead. It was all new metal and all these things. And ska was not popular. So I think Il Scarlet, the, they came too early for the fourth wave of ska with like, cause they could have easily been riding the coattails of like the interrupters and things now it's a good point so they were too early for that wave too late for the the original third wave um so that's the first thing the musical landscape in this country specifically has shifted a lot in the late 2000s mid to late 2000s 2010s you know broken social scene arcade fire all these indie bands really reign supreme at the juno so it's easy for ill scarlet to just get cast aside so they dominated a lot of the rock Winter Sleep for Best New Group. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there's that. The And 
even still, like I said before at the start of the show, when like Il Scarlet couldn't find their uh, tribe to kind of like link up with, because like you, we we talked about Billy Talent a lot. They if Il Scarlet had kind of done away with the reggae and only done songs that were more like the life of the soldier kind of that were more like just like rockish then they could have you know for years billy talent was like seemed like forever on tour with alexis on fire and they were touring with um who's your face against me uh anti-flag they were doing these big tours and they were all like in this big arena thing and like they could have kind of like tucked into that fold if they were more on the rock side um and like billy talent did pretty well for themselves with that but also like uh they could have also played with like cancer bats and all these like because it that was the other thing it was either going indie or all these like hard rock bands were starting to come out of canada too so yeah. it's like they just they, they were just kind of like orphans out there they just didn't have their but there was there's still bedouin sound clash but that's we the thing too that's far the other thing from the salads I was like, about to say, was the, so the salads, were, if the salads stayed more relevant, they could have had a nice tandem, but they only put out the two albums and kind of like, and Bedouin, they took a 2011, they put out Light the Horizon, and they didn't put out a new album until Mass, like 20, 20, uh, 2019. And, but also I feel yeah. like Bedouin, like I said before, they're more reggae purists. So I feel like they could kind of get tucked in with other reggae bands, whereas like Il Scarlet, because of their kind of like, uh, what do these white boys know about reggae? It's like, they, they kind, like the reggae purists would kind of shun them a little bit you know what i mean it's it's really 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 tough because there is that cross-section with if there's one thing i know it's sublime fans yeah and there's a cross-section to it the ogs like me sometimes get a little bit embarrassed by the santa i call them the santa Ria fans of the world (laughs) (laughs) where it's like i i remember Someone, actually, it was our friend Kyle who came up to me once and he said, Oh, Sublime sucks. I'm like, Hey, he's like, Okay, well, you know what? They're not a bad man. They're actually a really good band. He goes, But I just don't like their fans. It's always bros with backwards trucker hats, <laughs> high five each other. When Santa Maria comes out, I'm like, ah. So then you get like the fans like me who feel like they're better than that. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> To a lot of people, these guys might represent the bros, Sublime bros. My thing with them is, though, they were playing great music and the songwriting was really good and you have to get to a point where the musician or the band doesn't personify one guy you know you know what I mean it has to be you have to take them for what they're worth and that can cloud people's judgment and it has clouded mine many times I never really felt that about Il Scarlet I've always liked Il Scarlet but that could have been a thing that has clouded people's opinion on them well even like uh, so you have because you're such a sublime completist you even have the I think I bought it too the look at all the love we found yeah I've got the the tribute yeah I've got three tribute albums actually and I remember you were telling me this because, you know, I'm such a Bedouin fan that they did a, a, a song on that. Hey, Wave from Maruka. Yeah. And, and that's oh. like the fact that they were asked to do that just shows like that people could like identify them in the Sublime camp more than like Il Scarlet. To be fair, that did come out before Il Scarlet was oh, okay. really doing anything. That first one. Uh, the Bedouin one was actually released with the concert DVD. It was like a bonus disc that had a bunch of live tracks and then some additional songs. Chuck D does one. Chuck really? D does um, Ebbet. Yeah. He just rap. It's awesome. And I love that cover of Waiting for My Ruka, though, because they literally put yeah. a song that does it's nothing. It's literally just like a boom, boom. Well, nice put well, I love that about, about that song, Waiting for My Ruka, how it's just so simplistic. It's yeah. just a timbali and a bass and a turntable. Yeah. 
they'll love that. Uh, but yeah, they made it their own. Uh, I think that they had a chance. But like they put out another one. Actually, I think it was the peer.org who was talking about earlier. Um, we're just kind of changing subjects here and talking about Sublime Tribute albums. Just a heads up. Um, they did one. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's, it's so good recently um but basically like the long beach dub all-stars do a track on there pepper does a track this is it the house that bradley built that sounds really familiar for some reason there's there's two versions there's one and then there's deluxe version too um but like pepper's on there uh but the mad caddies do the best song they do a new song you know pay back some motherfucking bitch yeah and they do it with like part like dixieland like you know that kind of dixieland vibe that sometimes mad caddies do it is the best sublime cover song i've ever heard i'm gonna listen to that right now like after this so good and i know we're getting way off track here but uh it's what we do on the show sometimes you get two people that are easily sidetracked you get bucko nine doing burritos which i haven't heard yet save ferris doing santeria which i haven't heard yet that'd be cool uh, let's see here. Uh, Wait, what's sorry, what's the song that they did? Oh, G-Love and the Special Sauce doing April 29th, 1992. A uh, new song. Right. Pay back some motherfucking bitch. Pepper doing Work That We Good is really good. Uh, work That We Do is really good. Uh, there it is. Uh, the Skints do Get Ready. Bali Who does STP. OAR does Bad. I'm just they got to give me like a free vinyl of this record how much uh, attention I'm giving it. Oh, and then Brad's dad and his son do a duet of Rivers of Babylon. Oh, and his cool. son's got a band called Law that are actually pretty awesome. He's yeah, I knew he had a band. A little bit different than his dad. He's got his own vibe going, but uh, they're they're a good band. See, at least he uh, stayed in the same realm of his dad. Kurt Cobain's daughter hates Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Di- the pressures, I think, were a little bit different. I know. But also, she's not even a she's singer. She's into like fashion. For love. Yeah. Too. So. See, so, so that's easy. Your dad sucked, and your mom sucked even worse. I like Nirvana, and you know what? I've actually come to really like Hole too. I didn't like them back in the day, but when they did the 500 on uh on the Hole album, uh, I actually really liked the album, and I liked it better than Celebrity Skin, which I always were like, this is the only Hole I like. And the singles are better off Celebrity Skin, but was it not Doll Parts? Doll Parts song. What's the name of the album? Miss World. I, I can't remember. You, I listened to it. I listened to it once. Like, you Pass. are done with Hall. And kiss my hole. Doll part. No, doll parts is suck. Live through this. Live through this. Live through this is a great album. I'll stick with that. Live through this is a great album. Uh, to each his own. All right. Well, we're not talking about Hole. <laughs> talking about Ill Scarlet. Um, I am hoping that uh, they'll put out some new music soon. They are still together. Uh, it's just been like seven years since they put anything out did you but find god do for a fourth wave they're ready to rock let's hear some stuff buds did you hear anything like in your research about like what alex has been doing was he like producing albums was he working i could there's not a whole lot to be had with ill scarlet mm. um they don't seem to be the the guys that seem to have them as much fun in interviews are open up. Like they're accommodating. They're nice guys, right. but they're not like big camera hogs, like the bare naked ladies or something <laughs> like yeah, that. Big hams. You know I mean? Yeah. 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 They're a little bit more reserved, but you can tell that they're most comfortable being on stage playing the music. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like, that was like, when we saw them. Find him or the band. I think the longest one I saw was about seven minutes. Hmm. Yeah. They don't do big, long, half hour shows 
hey, maybe this kid's big enough. We'll sit him down and go, hey, dude. But also, what the fuck was up with one up? What were you thinking? No. <laughs> but also, the other thing too is like the the musical, like we've talked about. The musical landscape kind of changed. So, like, Much Music, who was their big supporter, or could have been their big supporter, like, they didn't do those big intermittent interactive shows anymore where, like, they shut yeah. down Young Streets. Like, everyone come to Barnstorm the, the, the downtown and listen to Ill Scarlet through a window. So, like, those days were kind of over. All they really had was The Edge. Because even uh, when their first few songs out, like, Indie 88 didn't even wasn't even out yet that didn't come out till 2013 so that yeah. was the other like yeah, they, rock station that was the year before they put out uh the self-titled yeah so you know it, it it i hope they put out another full-length album and i hope they actually kind of continue that path because you know what there's i used to think if you, if you if you did stuff that was more pop and more accessible was selling out now that i'm an adult it's your evolution when you're getting older you're just going to want to play the stuff that you're playing and your musical tastes change over time so i hope that they kind of follow the path on the self-titled because i think they were on a really good track there and i think uh I think that there's hope, especially with Scott do for a fourth wave. Well, it's already kind of started with the skins and the uh, the interrupters, and um, I think there's a few other bands that are starting to form now, but I can't remember. I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> I think that does it for this episode. I think that we're both like, don't give up on this, guys. The window is still open. Keep going for it. Keep reaching for the stars. And hopefully they do one day and do find that audience down south, especially on the underground, because it's stuff that's accessible to anybody. So, well, the other next- thing, too, is sorry, before you say next week's, whatever the hell we're doing. <laughs> Uh, the other thing, too, is now in the age of the Internet, like between Reddit, Spotify, and just like there's probably like what you are for Sublime. There's probably some bra in southern Ontario who's like on every message board like, dude, you got to get into Ill Scarlet. Bruh. I'm sure like, there is. They have a strong fan base up here. I just don't know why that hasn't transitioned. And we talked about it today. And I know I, I, we have our guesses. But I think that the difference between them and like an Econoline Crush we talked about earlier or Doug of the Slugs where Doug's dead, uh, <laughs> there's still hope for El Scarlet. But we'll move on to next week's episode. And uh, next week, we've been doing a lot with bands that have kind of stumped us why they haven't broken through down south. Next week is the one that's more about a song that I'm not sure why it wasn't a bigger hit because it's a great song. It's a great product of its time. It's better than a lot of songs of the same genre that it was big. And the song I'm talking about is American Psycho by Trouble Charger. And we're going to get into Trouble Charger next week for episode number five of Canada FM. Oh, what a way to end it. (laughs) 